Did you hear that? Is it the horror comedy podcast with Jake and Haley? Oh my god, it is. This podcast is intended for inhalation only. And that means it's not for kids. It's Wednesday. It's Haley. It's another little baby, tiny, mini, super small, um, petite-sized episode of the Horror Comedy Podcast. My cat Pippi is here. I'm going to check and see if you can hear her purring, because if so, she might have to not be right here. Okay, great. You can't hear her purring. Um, Honestly, I kind of wish you could, because it's the best sound I've ever heard in my life. But whatever. It's Wednesday, and that means it's time for me to get really high, which I already did. Don't worry. And tell you some scary stories that I got from the internet, which I also already did. So don't worry. You don't have to listen to a podcast of me trying to find the scary stories. I'm just going to read them to you. That's right. You get to skip all the BS. I do it for you. Our first story is by Reddit user Anna Kelly off of Let's Not Meet, and it's called I've Met a Weird Neighbor That May Have Never Existed. So my story happened nearly 10 years ago. I've just moved with my family in a new apartment. I stayed in the same city, but I moved closer to the train station, which was more convenient. Although the apartment was smaller than the previous one, it was cheaper, according to my parents. I was quite young and didn't object or have any particular feeling about the move. We tend to be really reserved. We are not the kind of family to mingle with our neighbors, and neither was I. But I was sufficiently well-behaved to say hello every time I encountered any of them or having small talk like, how are you, and all that. Rapidly, we met this middle-aged man with his wife. They particularly stood out to us because the man had neglected physique like he was extremely tired or consumed substances. His beard was full of holes, and he wore beanies most of the time. He also limped and was always with a cane. His wife did not particularly stand out. She had a really common appearance. I don't know how to explain this, but each time I met them, I felt uncomfortable. The man had a way of watching people from head to toe that gave me a weird vibe, especially that I was a teenager at the time. I particularly remember one time when I was with my cousin, which was probably five at the time, and we met him in the lobby. I don't think I can forget the look he gave her. It's hard to explain, but I felt like something was wrong with this man. I didn't feel like I was in danger, but I probably wouldn't spend an hour with him, even for a million dollars. We used to live in the fourth floor, or the highest floor in the building. They lived right below. So when we met in the lobby, it was always awkward because we basically did the path together. While having those weird episodes with them, it didn't take much of my thoughts. I saw them here and there, it was awkward, and then I went on with my day. One day, while coming back to our apartment with my mom, we saw men going in and out of their apartment. Quite surprised by the move of our weird neighbors, we engaged ourselves in small talk with what looked like movers, and that's when the conversation turned into something bizarre. While asking them when they had moved, one of the movers pointed out how nobody has lived there in four years. But as I said earlier, because we were living on the fourth floor, I saw them several times going into that apartment. Not only me, but the five members of my family and some of my extended family. Just like that, it seemed like this stranger that made me so uncomfortable has never existed. So my neighbor from the third floor, let's not meet despite of not being sure I ever met you in the first place. Listen, listen, Anna Kelly, you did meet them. They were definitely organ harvesters. They were sizing you up because child organs are probably hard to come by. And they were going to uh, 
sell you. Actually, they might have gotten somebody else's organs, and that's why they had to go like that. That's what I'm going to guess. They did exist. Okay. This next story is really scary. Like, horror movie scary. And, um, a dog dies. Like, a dog really super dies. So, if that kind of thing ruins your day, then please tune in because it ruined my day too and Misery Loves Company and it's really, really scary. This is a story that I got off of the paranormal board of 4chan. When I and my wife were quite a bit younger, we decided we would spend the bicentennial outdoors. Yes, July of 76. We're old. We lived in Pueblo at the time, and we decided to go hiking, fishing, and camping along Lime Creek between Durango and Silverton. There wasn't anything other than brookies in the creek, but they were plentiful and fun to catch. Side note, we live in Pueblo. I don't really go outside often, but if I ever go outside again, I know that I will never go to Lime Creek between Durango and Silverton. Anyway... (laughs) We left our car by the side of the road along Old Lime Creek Road, about five miles from the highway, and packed in upstream along the creek with our shepherd, Rebel. It only took us about an hour to get to where we wanted to camp, a nice meadow beside the creek just before a slot canyon that required you to swim to get any further upstream. Either that or take a several-mile detour. We camped uneventfully that night, the 3rd of July, enjoying the sounds of the rippling creek and nature all around us. It was such a nice night that we just slept out under the stars, didn't bother to pitch our little backpacking tent. It was a little cool, but we had the fire going and our lightweight 30-degree bags, so we were very comfortable. The next day, we had breakfast, packed up, and we all swam our way up the creek to the next wide spot with a bit of bank in the canyon, only about 150 yards or so. Now, Rebel was never one to turn down a chance to get wet, but we did have to do a bit of coaxing to get him to follow us up the creek. We fished and splashed upstream a bit, and before we knew it, it was lunchtime. We thought we'd fry up some of those brookies, but we were in this slot canyon that terminated in a fairly deep hole with about a 10-foot rocky waterfall at the end of it. We decided that I would scale the waterfall and pull the dog and the packs up, and then I would help Maggie get up. It was fairly difficult, even with the help of an old cable left over from a mining operation that was hanging down the side of the wall of the canyon. It took a lot of effort, and though we finally made it, we looked back down that waterfall and wondered what the heck we were thinking. Rebel was none too happy about it either, and he seemed to get more irritable by the minute. We found enough driftwood at the rocky top of the falls to get a fire started and get the fish fried up, but that was about it. You know the uneasy feeling that several others have mentioned? It was like a switch turned on, and we all of a sudden became aware of our surroundings. It grew like a cancer, and I actually watched the hair on the back of Rebel's neck stand up. Maggie felt it too, and we both noticed that it was getting dark fast in this canyon. First thought in my head was, it was probably a cat, and I actually felt a little bit better about that because I figured the cat would leave us alone. Between the fire and the dog, I told Maggie what I thought, and she seemed to feel a little better, too. I did not want to get caught in the dark in the canyon for a bunch of reasons. Flash floods and all kinds of other shit. I spied what looked like a mine shaft about 200 feet above us. A heck of a steep climb, but it looked like our best bet. 
We pulled out our flashlights, and by the time we reached it, it was pitch black. The dog was a mess at this point, whipping around in circles, whining, yelping, and just being a real pain in the ass. Maggie and I were drenched with sweat and immediately began to freeze. July in the mountains is a weird thing. I have seen blizzard conditions before, but this was like somebody turned on the deep freeze. We were, we were at what looked like the start of a mine. It only went back about 10 feet, but there was evidence of fires at the mouth, and they curiously looked fresh. I was too tired to think more about it. I knew we had to get out of our wet clothes, pitch the tent, and climb in our bags before we got hypothermia. That was no fun, let me tell you, having to do all that by the light of our rapidly dying flashlight, and there was no firewood anywhere close. I cursed myself several times for letting things get this far out of control. We finally got the tent pitched up right there in the back of this little cave, buck naked as we had no dry clothes left. The sleeping bags are slightly damp too, even though we had stuffed them in plastic garbage bags before a swimming expedition up the canyon. We froze. It was miserable. About one in the morning, I called Rebel into the tent for a little heat. The dogs seemed to have calmed down greatly, and with the added heat, we drifted off. Sometime during the night, I heard something that just about woke me. I was still in a haze, so I fell asleep again immediately. I woke up one other time because I thought I heard Rebel yip a little bit, but again I was in and out. I put my hand out to pet his head and he licked my hand. I fell asleep again. Maggie later said she fell asleep at the same time as I did, but never woke up at all during the night. I woke up to the most horrible noise I have ever heard come out of a hundred pound woman. Just the most god awful shrieks that I have ever heard. I never want to hear that again. I opened my eyes just in time to see a man at the mouth of the shaft, silhouetted against the morning daylight, looking back at us with the most twisted, evil grin I have ever seen on the face of another human. I scrambled to get free of my tightly zipped bag and the little tent where he just crouched there and grinned. When I was just about free, he disappeared. Now we were granola crunching, tree hugging, anti-gun nature freaks at the time, so the only thing I had of any consequences as a weapon was my camp knife. I found it after what seemed like hours of searching, but really there was probably under a minute. I very cautiously made my way to the entrance, millimeters at a time. The guy was gone. About that time, Maggie started screaming and whimpering again, so I rushed back to the back of the shaft. She had struggled out of the tent, and she was pointing at what used to be Rebel. His head was nearly severed, and the tent and the bags were ruined with the blood all over everything. She had blood all over her, so the first thing I did was make sure she wasn't injured, and then I checked myself. We were okay. It was all Rebel's blood. We put on our still damp cold clothes from the night before, and then we noticed that our boots were gone. We were in trouble. I had some paracord, so we tied some shirts and towels around our feet and climbed back down towards the creek. We left everything in the mine, except for the knife and some stuff that we shoved in our pockets. It took us eight hours to get back down to the car, and we were like hamburger. Hands, feet, arms, and legs scraped raw bruised and bleeding. We jumped in, the car started right up thankfully, and we left a dust cloud that blanketed the valley as we sped down the rough trail toward Durango. 
We limped into the sheriff's office and we looked like hell. We got our story out, my wife through tears, and me talking way too fast, but finally got it all out. The deputy said that they would go out first thing in the morning and asked us to stay in town. We had no money for a hotel, so he let us stay in a cell after we showered and changed into prison jumpsuits. We were there at the jail waiting when the expedition returned with the convoy of three trucks. I noticed that all the officers, who were quite wet and filthy, gave us dirty looks as they passed us, and the deputy that we had talked to the day before herded us back to his office. Then came the interrogation. Turns out that some animal had spread rebels' remains all down the side of the creek, and he said that there was nothing else there. No tent, no backpacks, nothing. He asked us if we had any drugs. I didn't want to admit that we had some herb, so I denied it. It was clear that we were fighting a losing battle. They had come to the conclusion that we were wandering out in the woods, high on acid, while a mountain lion had gotten our dog. The bastard even made us change back into our filthy clothes and give him back the jumpsuits right then. He told us that he had better never see us again. We left. Maggie was sobbing. I have never been back to Durango. The thing that I still have nightmares about years later, and I have never mentioned this to Maggie, is the second time I woke up when I heard Rebel yelp, was that when his throat was cut? And if it was, was it the dog who licked my hand before I fell back asleep? I still go out in the wilderness, never overnight, out well before dark, only with other people, and I always have a big gun. I respect animals, but I fear people. Bitch. I'm all fucking upset. I read that and it ruined my life and I wanted to fucking go into the woods and go kill everyone who looked at dogs with a mean look in their eyes or malintent in their heart, which I realize is not really um, how any of that works, but it just makes me feel very paranoid and afraid and um, I always go camping with my dogs. Um, they always sleep in my tent with me though. All right. All right. This is the last one. We're going to switch it up. We're going to shift gears. And if you fast forwarded and skipped through the story where the dog gets murdered, I understand. So here's a sweet little UFO story. It will warm your heart and scare your soul and we will all feel better. Maybe you should look at kitten pictures after this. like, Or like, um, go watch some Spongebob or something. I don't know. This is also a post from the 4chan. Uh, that makes me sound like a grandma from the paranormal board of 4chan. When I was little, my dad would take me on a yachting trip every year for two or three weeks. Be me, about seven years old, on a yachting trip with my father and his friends. And some of their kids, too. The yacht was on lakes because we uh, weren't near an ocean. I have fun with kids my age. I swim in cold water, basically, and I have a great time. I sleep far from private havens so we can save some cash. Campfire plus kielbasa equals happy Slav boy. Be around midnight. Most people are already gone. Me, my dad, my dad's friend, and his wife all sit around the campfire. 
I look at the starry sky and my dad is telling me about constellations and how to navigate using them. I see a moving light and I point it out. Oh, it could be a satellite. You have great eyes, my dad says. And then I see another one and another. And I realize it's three of them and they're moving slowly in unison. But when I say slowly, I mean like a plane at like 33,000 feet. The lights are far from each other. Stretch out your arm and hold hand perpendicular to it. Every light is about two lengths of a hand held like that away from the others. At first I was amazed, but soon a weird feeling started creeping in. I couldn't tell what it was at first. And then I saw it. Something was blocking the starlight, like a giant triangle with lights on the vertexes. Maybe it's a plane. But my dad spent his youth nearby an airfield, and so did I. It was a perfect triangle. There was no blinking lights, no sound. After it passed, my dad decided it was time to go to sleep. So fast forward like 10 years, I forgot about this a long time ago. I'm doing a project on urban legends for school, researching some stuff at a, on a wiki, and I come across a thing called the Black Triangle, and I read about it. And I start having all of these memories. Oh my fucking God, the memories. So I go and I ask my dad about it, and he does, he says he remembers something like this. I haven't looked at the stars since. It still gives me shivers. Um, yeah, fuck that. I don't fuck with aliens. We already know. If you want, you can check out our Instagram and I'll have a picture of the black triangles. That's kind of similar to the UFO that I definitely saw in Pueblo. Um, I don't know what the hell UFO was doing in Pueblo, but I seen it. It was there. If you liked this week's mini episode, please tune in on Sunday. We'll have a full episode for you. We're going to talk about the history or cultural implications of a spooky thing. And we're going to talk about arresting the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And you can uh, find some info and petitions and uh, donations and the uh, show notes for that. And uh, we're going to tell you to not forget to drink water. But also... Don't forget to send us your scary stories to the horror comedy podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear about your UFO sightings and um, if someone killed your dog in the woods and um, also, you know, stalkers, organ harvesters, mystery neighbors. Please. We're here for all of it. See you Sunday, guys. Music and sound effects for this week are from fezlionstudios.com. They are amazing. You guys should definitely check them out. Here's a word from our friends over at the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Also check them out. I had a really great time listening. You remember that sound? Yeah, you do. The 1990s. It was fun. Lots of fun music, good times. Bookended by pop bands. And right in the middle, we got a little grungy. So many artists came and went and left us wondering, what are they doing now? We know what Marky Mark ended up doing, but what about the rest of the funky bunch? Alanis Morissette had a pop career before she made it big with Jagged Little Pill. The KLF, an EDM band from England, 
got Tammy Wynette to sing on one of their tunes. All kinds of crazy stuff happened, and we're going to talk to you about it with interviews with some of the biggest stars of the 90s on Dope Nostalgia, the podcast. I'm Naomi Carmack, and I'm your host. Check us out on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts. And look us up on the internet at dopenostalgia.com. 